Welcome to On the Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. Hi, I'm Andy Simon. As you know, I'm your host and your guide. And I go looking for interesting people who are going to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. Why? So you get off the brink. The last thing I want you to be is stuck, stalled, or trying to figure out how do I respond? You know, coming out of this pandemic is not easy. We don't quite even know the date by which we're going to come out. But on whatever we do, it's a time for us to embrace change and determine how can we be better at coming off the brink. So today, I'm so excited to have Michael Shine with us. Now, a little bit of context. Michael found me and asked if he could write about our podcast, the one you're listening to or watching today. He's a, a writer, a journalist, he's many things. I'll read you his little bio. But then he's going to tell you about a wonderful book he's just written called The Hype Handbook. And it's going to be fun talking about it. 12 Indispensable Success Secrets from the world's greatest propagandists, self-promoters, cult leaders, <laughs> hoax artists. Uh, I can't wait to share with you what's inside because it will help you begin to think about yourself and your business and through a fresh lens. And that's what we're all about. So Michael, Michael is a founder and president of Microfame Media, a company that specializes in making consultants and coaches famous in their fields. Some of his clients have included eBay, Magento, Medici Group, University of Pennsylvania. He's got a nice array of client stories to share. He's appeared in Fortune, Forbes, Psychology Today, Huffington Post. And he's a speaker for international audiences from northeastern United States to southeastern coast of China. I liked your directions here. <laughs> Thanks. His new book, The Hype Handbook, which I just mentioned, is out and ready for you to read it. But today we're going to listen about it. Michael, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really thrilled to be here, Andy. Well, this is fun. Tell the listeners or the viewers about your own journey, because this didn't come out day one. This has been part of your whole development and the work you've been doing with people. So share your story. Yeah, I, I think unlike a lot of people on who come on the show, a lot of really great people and, and certainly a lot of listeners, I was allergic to business. I mean, that was the last thing I ever wanted to do. Not that I never thought I would go into business. That's a lot of people. I was committed to never have anything to do with business. So um, when, I, when I was young, 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 a kid, I, I was going to be the next role doll in C.S. Lewis that I was going to write, you know, novels. And as I got older, I still wanted to do that. But I also wanted to change rock and roll and play in a punk rock band that was, you know, really cool and unique. And, and I did that to an extent. I left college and told my parents that I was going to move to New York and, and start this band. And I was just in my um, deluded youthfulness, was convinced that this was going to give music everything it needed. And they were very upset And because I told them this at my graduation dinner. <laughs> That's what I did. I went to New York, um, you know, work, worked some low level jobs and did some interesting things. But my mind was totally on making this band happen. And it was an exciting time in New York. It was uh, around 2000, 2001. I mean, that wasn't exciting in terms of um, some of the negative things that were going on. But there was a real music scene in New York at the time. Uh, some of the bands became famous, this band, The Strokes and a band called Interpol. And, and we were sort of floating around that scene, but but um, we were really good at hyping up a show. 
So we never called it marketing. I didn't even know what marketing was. That was something that advertising agencies did. But but um, we were good at hyping up a show. So it, there was this uh, venue called Arlene's Grocery that we regularly played at. We had a residency. And it's, it's a famous place if you're into that kind of music. And we would sell it out all the time. And not because of musical abilities. So we I would do things like um, I would dress up like a nun and walk around the Lower East Side. And because we had a song called Ash Wednesday. Um we would put up signs that I probably shouldn't talk about now. Actually, I, I told this story to an attorney that I know, and he told me I shouldn't talk about this, but whatever. We used to put up signs that said, Dave Matthews must die. He's like this hippie musician <laughs> that was like everything we stood against. So we put that up. And so, um, yeah, we we're, were good at that. But, you know, one thing leads to another. It's very hard to make it as a rock star, not a, not a corporate rock star, but a rock star, rock star. And, you know, ultimately it, it, it didn't work out and we broke up and, after lying on the couch for two weeks uh, and being very depressed, I decided I needed to make a living and I, I, I got a job and um, we don't have to go into the details of, of how that unveiled. But needless to suffice it to say that after a decade, I was a vice president of solution development at this company. I worked really hard. I corporatized myself. I just told myself stories about how I needed to make a living, which I did, but there were other ways besides that. And I learned a lot, but I didn't need to be there for 10 years. And at the end, I was, I was miserable. You know, I was, I was putting on the show, but I, I really, I, I, you know, and, and um, I have an 11 year old daughter. And when she was on the way, I realized like, am I going to tell my daughter that I'm a VP of solution development? Like, I don't even know what that is. I wanted to write novels. I wanted to do something creative. Um, so I left and um, I decided I was going to be a freelance uh, copywriter because I read there was opportunity there. And I've always been a good writer, you know, and people always said that to me. So I have confidence in it. And I just figured if I wrote a white paper or a website a week, I'd make six figures and I'd be, you know, in great shape. And as it turned out, you know, I, I forgot about the fact that you actually have to get clients. So <laughs> I had a year's worth of savings. I burned through it. I was very stressed out. And I was trying to market myself, capital M, market myself. And the problem with that is I had become very corporate. So when I thought of marketing, I thought of this discipline called marketing. You know, it's this thing that professional marketers do. And that involves search engine optimization and landing pages and the three Ps and, you know, all of this stuff. And I was doing all that like a good little schoolboy and I was failing. Um, and then out of desperation, more than anything, it just occurred to me, I actually walked past that club that we used to play at because I was still in New York. And I was, I said to myself, you know, all of these, I was a better marketer when I didn't even know what marketing was. I don't think I should be marketing. I should be hyping things up. You know, I should be acting like a rock band manager or something like that. And so I started experimenting with that approach and it started to work. I started to get a lot of attention and we can talk about how, how that happened. And in fact, it did so well. And I started to get so many writing clients. It eventually turned into a business. It turned from a copywriting business into um, an agency. And now, ever since I've written this book, kind of detailing the way I do things, which is kind of different, um, it's become kind of this strange business where we work with mainly consultants and high-level coaches and really embed hype in their DNA, which we consider a positive thing. Um, not only do we just do what a marketing agency would do and take over their marketing and do their social media, we don't do that. We make sure that everything they're doing at that company embodies the, the hype that only they can do. And we run experiments to make sure that the best forms of that hype are getting them exactly the business results they want. And it's been a wonderful ride. 
And now I have the book. And so I wanted to be a writer. And now I have um, a book I'm very proud of. So, But the most interesting part for our listeners or our viewers is that you really needed to take stock of who you were and what you did well and what yeah. really mattered as opposed to duplicate, yeah. copy what others did as the way we do things here. And now the trick is, mm, I'm a consultant, you know, what is hype? And how do you put the DNA of hype into, uh, I've had a successful business. Yeah. And yet I would really love to know, let's assume that this is a newbie who's coming to you. Um, let's talk about the 12 indispensable success secrets, or how would you begin to help them begin to see themselves through a fresh lens, which is what we're about. Yeah, that's a great question, because the first thing that it's really important to understand is that hype is an amoral thing. It's neither moral nor immoral. So I understand that people use that word hype or think of it in a very negative way. In the traditional sense, what it means is drumming a lot of smoke and dust around something that isn't inherently good. But but I define it very differently. I define it as any activity that gets a large number of people emotional for the purpose of driving them in a certain direction for, for a result. So why did I choose hype instead of marketing? I, I was inspired by hip hop, believe it or not, because in the kind of suit and tie business world or whatever the equivalent of that is today, the formal business world, you know, we have the luxury of really doing A plus B plus C equals D, especially if we're getting a paycheck, right? Because yes. you can you can make it look like you're marketing, doing all the things you're supposed to do, using Clubhouse when Clubhouse is big, using Instagram when Instagram is big, even if it doesn't get a result, right? Um, and, and call it marketing. But hype, that's, that's a dirty even word. Even if you hate doing it. <laughs> even if you hate it and even if you... I mean, frankly, I, I know more than one chief marketing officer who has climbed up the ladder by being professional, by hiring the right agency, by putting the right decks together. by But if you actually were to dig through and get to, okay, but how many sales did this actually lead to? How much attention did it lead oh, to? There's very little. That's right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Hype, on the other hand, you know, in hip hop, every rap group has a hype man, or they used to in the 80s. And the idea was, and that was a positive, and they were part of the group. And the idea is, the hype, part, the hype man gets the crowd excited, but also makes sure people know about the group. And the point there is if your rap came out of the poorest neighborhood in the United States and you couldn't play by the rules, you had to find creative ways to get attention. And so to me, it's important to have a moral code, essential. Don't lie. Don't um, make people better than you found them, whatever that is. But outside of that, it's a function of doing those things that play on real human nature, not what we want to believe about human nature, yeah. to get a lot of emotion around your, what you're doing so you can direct them to where you want them to go. And in the case of business, that's usually dollars, right? Um, and I, I actually discourage the word marketing because what marketing means now, it should just mean getting you ups to bat for sales. But what it means now is the technology. It starts with the tactics. It's marketing. Oh, have you done SEO? Have you done social media? Have you done blogging? Have you looked at your three Ps? But the best marketers, promoters, hype artists don't even think of themselves as marketers. They barely know what that word means. Yes. So, Michael, tell us some of those case studies that you, you hype about hype, because I think they're illustrative of exactly what you're capturing here. It's not about um, tactical, practical stuff. It's about hitting the heart. We decide with the heart. 
Yeah. And these folks knew exactly how to get inside other hearts to create the emotions that made you want to buy or come or enjoy. In some cases, you can share. I'll actually, in the spirit of mischief, tell you about the time that I hyped one of the best hype artists. Um, so it's a personal story. So um, would your audience know who Gary Vaynerchuk is? He's one of those guys who certain audiences think of him as like Elvis, and some people don't know who he is at all. Yep, but Gary's a big deal. Yeah. So Gary Vaynerchuk, um, you know, his I, first- I've actually had clients who tell me I should watch him. Arguable, maybe. So it depends what you're watching him for. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk, to give a little background to, to those of you out there in radio land who don't know who he is, um, he started with a really cool business. It was called Wine Library TV. He uh, took over his dad's, as he calls it, liquor store. It was really a $3 million a year like wine warehouse. And he um, created a thing called Wine Library TV, where he's this like kind of Long Island, gruff kind of guy. And he would compare wine to like Skittles and, and Cinnamon Toast Crunch and um, <laughs> curse a lot. And, and, and it was this cool combination of someone who really knew about wine and this everyman attitude. And as a result, he really, really blew up the business. So because he did this on the internet, he repositioned himself as a... Um, uh, internet guru. And most of his fans are, are young people who are aspiring entrepreneurs. And his his kind of like shtick is that he he constantly yells about, he does this less than he used to because he's taking slack, but how he built his thing up, he yells at these young people about how they're not working hard enough. So he's, he basically is, you hustle, hustle, hustle. That's his thing. You need to tweet 24-7 back when Twitter was the biggest thing. You know, tweet from the toilet, you would say. And if you're not, you're lazy, you're going to fail. And so I would watch this and I was studying hype artists at the time. And I realized that something that all cults do, almost all religious cults do, is they get their um, followers to work extremely hard for free on their behalf. Because what it does is it breaks down your capacity for rational thought. And also, if you work on behalf of a cause, um, you <laughs> it's hard to say to yourself, this, if, if you start to see, you know, Gary may not be as good as I thought, it's, it's hard to say, well, I just work like a dog based on his advice. And, and, and it, it creates a cognitive dissonance. You just kind of double down on following the person. There's another hype strategy, though, that I knew of called, um, that I call make war, not love. It's that people are much more attracted to picking a fight or drawing lines in the sand than they are, you know, positive statements. So this was very early on in my career. I wrote an article called Inc. Uh, from, um, in Inc. magazine called Why Gary Vaynerchuk is Flat Out Wrong. And I, and I kind of like, you know, really Went very politely, I, I really um, poked a lot of holes in his argument. So and I was a nobody at the time. This was one of the first hype things I did. <laughs> so that night, my phone started blowing up and I look online. It turns out that Gary himself recorded a video and he started out nice. And by the end, he was really upset. He was sweating. He was like agitated, you know, and then all his dedicated fans started blowing up my Twitter. You're an idiot. You're lazy. And, and I was like, oh, wow. You know, because it never even though you know what the dynamics are, it's always scary to have people call you <laughs> an idiot and lazy and, you know. Um, but a funny thing happened. There were all these people out there who apparently felt exactly like I did, but they didn't have a leader. They didn't have the guts. They didn't need the guts. They didn't have any reason to speak up. And that was the beginning of my fan base. You know, all those people rallied against me around me. So it was interesting. I, I, I sort of saw a hype artist and hyped 
I, I platformed off the hype artist. And I think the lesson there is that if you're, whether or not you read my book, if you're, I always recommend that you study good hype artists and then try to repurpose this stuff ethically. Not saying Gary's not ethical, but what, whatever, it, whatever you do, it should be ethical. But what you should do is if you find a quote unquote guru, don't follow their advice. Look at what they're doing. A lot of times their advice is at odds with what they're recommending. They give the advice they know will build a following. Uh-huh. But what you should do is study Gary. If you're going to watch Gary, watch him and figure out what he does to drive such excitement. <laughs> well, but you see, it, it becomes interesting because it's not a rational thing. It's an emotional no. desire right. to belong. And humans are herd animals. Very much. And- We're the most social mammal on earth. Yes. And what we really want is to be long part of something that we think is leading somewhere else and has power that we want to cop. We really want to cop that power. In some ways, we want to feel like we're part of that powerful thing. So it becomes. And I want to interrupt that we want that and we don't even know we want it. In fact, we'll deny it to ourselves. Yes. If you ask someone why they love Gary. And why they're a vaniac, as they call themselves, even if they have no money, which most of his people don't, his fans don't have yet. They'll say, because he gives me the advice to succeed. No one is better. (laughs) And if you looked at that that rational, and I don't have two dimes to rub together, but if you looked at that rationally, that makes no sense. But subconsciously, it's because it makes them part of a tribe. And now a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us. And we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. Whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled, or an individual in that organization who's looking to rethink their own life's journey, Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled, and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens reignite their growth, and soar again. My new book that came out in January 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings, and the brick walls and become the best that they could be. They heard things like women aren't lawyers and women can't lead and women aren't in geosciences. And they said, of course we are. And they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back, and ask yourself, where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose? And am I there, or can I get there? Send us your emails to info at andysimon.com, and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. On andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books. And you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves, very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now back to our podcast. And then there's this um, this wonderful feeling that they're doing something for me without saying that. Correct. And and you feel like they care about you, even if they have no caring for you. But it is a very interesting human being we are, isn't it? It's, it's amazing. And, and I think it's really important to keep in mind, because I know a lot of people listening or watching this will be thinking to themselves, they'll be recoiling from this. I don't want to do that stuff. It's, it's inevitable, right? 
That's your choice. But it's also important to realize that human beings are evolved to survive and pass out on their genes. Yes. They're not evolved to see the world rationally. And our herd mentality, our ability to exclude those not like us, all of these things that might come across as a little bit, we don't like to see ourselves that way. They're what It's the reason there are 8 billion human beings and 200,000 chimpanzees, yes. you know? <laughs> so you can either accept that and use it for good. And there are a million ways to use it for good that we can talk about, or you pretend the world is how it isn't and struggle. Yep. The thing about hype, though, is you just said something important. You can do it for good. The word hype has had a bad reputation as if it's not honest or it's not truthful or it's a fabrication in some fashion. Yeah. But it's exactly what you need to tell your story. If you're going to get your story out to an audience, that's going to help you build your business. Right. Right. And that's not a bad thing. That's it's not a fraud. And marketing in some ways has become factual, tactical, practical, but not inspirational. And humans buy with the heart. So we got to figure out how to tap into that in some fashion. There was go ahead. I want to say that's a great point on, on even another level. Um, one of the things that I noticed, and maybe it's because I came to this through the arts and music instead of through business, is that done at its best, hype isn't just something you should do because it helps you build your business. It adds color to the world. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at some of these rock stars, Alice Cooper, David Bowie, the hype was as much part of the art as it was the music. Yes. Andy Warhol, same thing. Richard Branson, same thing. So if you start looking at it as something that actually can enhance what you're doing, it can be really fun. Well, you said something powerful there. It isn't separate from what you are or what you're doing. It is all part of who you are and what you're doing. Right. It's part of the, the I often use the metaphor that life is like theater. Yeah. And if you think of it that way, the role you're playing on that stage has multiple levels in it. And you can read the script, but that's not going to get you very far. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to perform with heart and with soul and communicate and capture the audience so they stand up and cheer at the end. It's not that different than the hype you're talking about. No, no, no. that's a fantastic analogy. I mean, theatricality is a huge, huge part of it. Well, since I work with people who have to change, what we've learned is that if I use the metaphor, they begin to see they can play a new role. You're asking them to think about hype as if it is part of that role it might be missing. But you had some how-tos in there, um, one of which was to find a short mm, statement that sort of captured who you were. And I, as I was writing up this uh, podcast for my blog, I said, well, mine is from observation to innovation. But have I used yeah. it enough? You know, I'm Nike Swish. It's just like that. Yeah. You know, how do you capture something visual that you can use all the time? And the most important thing is over and over and over and over again. Yes, very much so. So are there some other to do's in there that you can share? Sure. I mean, I um, in researching this book, I read, gosh, hundreds of biographies, neuropsychology, you know, stuff that I had never really seen before, interviewed people. And what, what I was curious about was, is everyone who's naturally good at this hype thing just all over the map? Because if they are, there's nothing to it. You know, there's nothing you can learn. It turns out there really are 12 umbrella strategies that you can use over and over again. And there are, are a few that you can really immediately sort of put into practice. So 
we talked about the make war, not love idea. That's the idea that people are much more attracted to being against something than being for something. So a way to tap into that. So let's say you own a business and you don't really have the stomach or the inclination for picking a fight with a person, which I, I can understand why. Then what you want to do is say to yourself, okay, what's a point of view held by people in my field that's almost like gospel that people repeat over and over again that I secretly or not so secretly really think is garbage? I think it's wrong. I think it's bad advice. I think it gets people to the wrong place. And then hammering that all the time. So I'll give you a, a case study, as you call it, an example. So um, since we've been talking about these over-the-top people, let's talk about something really uh, boring, um, project management software. <laughs> so. Um, Basecamp is a project management software that had the gall to take on Salesforce, which is the, the massive gorilla in the industry. And the way they did that is they noticed that, you know, Salesforce does everything. If, if you know, there are Salesforce consultants, because if you're a company and you want Salesforce to do a certain thing, you just have someone mess with the back end and it'll do it. Yes. And, and Basecamp said, we're going to create, you know, a project management software that does like, I don't know, don't quote me, the five things. And if you want anything else, like, don't use it. Right. And they could have gone out there and said, hey, you know, Basecamp is great because it's simple and it's easy to use. But then you're talking about why your thing is good. Right. What they did instead is they wrote books and articles, one of which is very popular called Rework, taking on the entire culture of modern work. What they said was overcomplexity is destroying work. It's destroying businesses. So they say things like fire your workaholics. Um, they created almost like this Ten Commandments in their book of these short declarative statements. Declarative being the important thing. They're telling people what to do. Fire your workaholics. If someone is working that hard, they are not elegant in the way they're approaching stuff. And as a result, they, they built this tribe around themselves against overwork, against stupid work, against um, workaholic culture. Now, what is the perfect tool for realizing that vision? Basecamp. Basecamp. So Basecamp is the kind of company people will wear T-shirts of. They won't wear a Salesforce T-shirt unless nothing else is clean or they're running and they went to a conference. So, yeah, if you can figure out, excuse me, <clears throat> you know, what is that thing that you're really against? Be honest. You know, don't don't give me the corporate soft version that we all do. We pull our punches in the business world. We do it all the time. You know, back when my my work was at a traditional agency, I remember one client who shall remain nameless came to me and said, we want to punch our industry in the face. We've heard what you do. I said, awesome. And I came up with all this stuff for them. And then they said, well, this word and that. And, you know, the industry isn't exactly, I'm afraid we're going to alienate some people. And by the time they were done, they had more outside the box win-win solutions than they had when they started in their web copy. Before, they, it was more conserved, small C conservative than they, when they began. So if you're going to do this thing, do this thing, you know, get bold, stand up for what you believe. And it, it pays off. And there are many others. That's just one, but I'll stop. But I love it. it I, I, my head is going, forgive me from thinking about me no. for a moment, because we're launching a 30 day challenge to take care of you. And you know, I'm trying to build it around a positivity. You know, after coming out of these two years of mess, it's time to take care of you. So many of my executive coaching clients complain about the fact they take care of everybody else and have no time for themselves. So we sure. created a 30 day challenge. It's a great app. But the real war, if I'm hearing you, is to go over the guilt of taking care of you. You've uh, been raised, correct. right? And, and it's guilt. 
abundant guilt if you care for yourself. It's abundant guilt if you take time off in that office that rework is talking about. Um, it's an interesting, I have no idea if it would work, but I haven't thought about it as going against the guilt. So I want to say two things because this is too good to pass up. So one thing is it's all about experiments. Mm -hmm. What you want to do is the smallest possible experiment you can. Because if you do something bold and it works, it's going to succeed beyond any milk toast idea that you ever have. But it could fail, and you don't want to fall on your face in public. So first, you want to come up with a bold idea. So imagine if you even went farther than what you said. What if you created some sort of bold stand against people's parents? Ooh, how interesting. Your parents wrecked your life. They instilled guilt in you whenever you didn't take care of anything else. I love it. And you start with, a, you know, and you start, what is the smallest thing you can possibly do to test if that's going to fall on its face or succeed? So um, you might write one article and post it in a very obscure publication. Uh -huh. You might go to um, a mastermind group and put that idea out there and see if people are, eh. If, see if people say nothing and say that's nice or see if people say, oh, my God, that's horrible. I'd rather, oh, my God, that's horrible than eh, gotcha. because then it, then you're forming a tribe. So it's important to realize there are all these bold hype strategies, but any like particular tactic within them varies, you know, based on a lot. I mean, on on gosh, you know, the audience, the day of the week, whatever. Right. And what people do is they follow tactics. You know, I, I can't tell you how many people have read Launch by Jeff Walker and they follow it one by one and they don't understand why it doesn't work. Well, that's because Jeff Walker did it already and 900 other people did it already. So the tactics, mm -hmm. you, you need to play and you need to test boldness. I love it because I I'm a playful person like you are. And we don't really know, but I have a roundtable today for my rethink group. I'm going to play with it. And then I tomorrow I have a webinar for my 30-day my challenge. And during that presentation about it, I've got a whole lot of folks who are coming to learn how to take care of you in 30 days, five minutes a day. And I'm going to play around and see what the response is to your parents' wrecked your life by making you feel guilty. I encourage you to not pull that punch because we're so used to, we're such adults now, right? We're in business. I so should we not say we're going to, what's I that? I should not, or I should. No, you should. Don't okay. pull your punch. Don't at the last minute change it to, it's really important not to feel guilty because that's, you didn't go far enough. If you're, you're not feeling a little bit of fear before you do one of these experiments, it's not really hype. You're, you're just playing it safe. Hey, but you yeah. know, being playful, I've learned that I have no idea how people are really going to respond. And right. over the years, I mean, I'm business 20 years, I've found all kinds of responses to things that I thought were no brainers or not important. And then I found lots and lots of people found it really important. To your point, they pick up the phone and they start calling and they email. And so right. it's been interesting listening to you. Michael, we're just about ready for us to wrap. Are two or three things you don't want our, our listeners, our viewers to forget? Because this has been fun for me and I appreciate the, uh, the free lesson here. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say the first thing is 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 tactical, and the second thing is kind of high level. So the first thing is, I'm I'm just going to reiterate what I said before. If you're not feeling a little bit of fear when you try these hype experiments, when you try to hype yourself up, you're probably playing it too safe. Be bold. Don't be afraid to alienate some people because if you alienate twenty and get a hundred thousand, that's worth it. Yep. Um, and the second thing is, you know. The thing that one of the reasons I wrote the hype handbook 
was because uh, there was obviously a business reason and a reason that I'm a writer. But another reason, and probably the biggest reason, was that I see all these nasty people who just get this stuff naturally. Because there are a lot of reasons that we can talk about. Sociopaths don't, you know, don't let emotions get in the way, et cetera. But there are a lot of really bad, nasty people who understand these strategies. And they get it without a book. And then there are all these people I run into who have amazing businesses. You know, in in my line of work, I work with consultants. So these consultants whose ideas could really change the world, Um, people who have products that are amazing, causes, nonprofits, and they're so reluctant to um, hype themselves up, you know, honestly, to, to make waves, to be theatrical, to be playful, to, to quote unquote, take advantage of, of human, you know, inconsistencies. And I would say that if you feel that way, you're being slightly immoral without knowing it because you're giving the bad guys all of the room to get their horrible ideas out there. And you're not giving your awesome ideas an equal chance to make the world a better place. So it's your moral imperative to, to, to master hype, as long as you have a strong moral code. I love it. For our viewers, you can see a copy of the book, the Hype Handbook, and the 12 Indispensable Success Secrets are there for you to do good. If I heard Michael correctly, this isn't about mean or nasty or bad. This is about inspiring people to follow for good reasons and a good fashion. What exciting times we're in, isn't it, Michael? It is. And I'd love to give just a little plug, if you don't mind. Um, It's just about, you already mentioned the book, but you know, um, really, you know, I run this business. I do all of these things. The, the, the thing I'd love you to do is, is, is get the book because that's, you know, I'm a writer first. I tried to give everything I know away in there. So, um, if you just go to Amazon and type in the hype handbook and it's Michael F shine, there was another Michael shine out there who stole my name. So, <laughs> but if you type in the hype handbook by Michael F shine, um, I, I really hope that you read that and get everything you need to know, uh, without, spending any more money or time than you need to. So that would make me very happy. And the 12 secrets in there are very understandable. You just have to go do them. But I will tell you that you took my mind from uh, adding a little conversation about how your parents, how you, you, you're full of guilt. So your parents really wrecked your life with all that guilt. (laughs) How do you come overboard and begin to respond to it? What fun. Michael, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This was a blast. Now, for all of you who come to me all the time, isn't it fun? We have such a good time learning how to get off the brink and soar again. So don't forget, if you need a hand, we're here. Don't get stuck or stalled. It's time to soar. You just need a little new way to get hype and and enjoy the conversation with Michael because it's been terrific. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye now.